Hi, this is David Rosen from TIPCO Tech Talks. Recently, I had an opportunity to sit down with Gerhard Kress from Siemens Mobility. We had a chance to talk about how digital technology is now significantly influencing customer experience on rail lines across the world. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy the talk. You're listening to Tech Talks by TIPCO. Hi, this is David Rosen. Welcome back to TIPCO Tech Talks, where we talk with industry leaders about their innovation and the changes that they're making across the world. Today, I've got the incredible pleasure of being joined by Gerhard Kress from Siemens Mobility. Welcome, Gerhard. Thank you very much. Do me a favor. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself more formally, talk about Siemens, and specifically talk about the division of Siemens, which you represent in your role. All right, thank you very much. Um, so my name is Gerhard Kress. I'm heading the data services organization in Siemens Mobility. When Siemens means mobility, what we actually talk about is transportation. Um, so moving people and goods and providing them either on the rail or on the roadside with transportation possibilities. Um, Siemens overall is, I think, a very large industrial uh, company focused very much on electrification, automation, and also digital topics, which Few people know that Siemens is the second biggest European software company. Most of that software might not be visible because it's in power grids or in building automation. But that's a big part of, of what Siemens does. In the mobility space, we decided a couple of years ago to invest into capabilities to analyze data, what they call the whole IoT world, to help our customers improve availability of trains, for example, uh, reduce lifecycle costs, and actually improve operations. And that's something that many of, of the passengers that take trains today can actually feel. So that's fascinating. Um, let's focus on the, the data and technology aspects of Siemens. I think that's a great place to start, and obviously an area in which you have tremendous amount of expertise. But before we kind of go down that technology area, I liked what you kind of said around people and mobility and taking trains and et cetera. Why don't you just step back for us and talk about kind of the world of, uh, let's dive in on Europe, but what does the world of the uh, European rail network look like, and particularly around the pains and the pleasure of rail passengers in Europe right now? Well, I think most people who are using uh, trains today, they can, can relate to that. It's, it's not always a great experience. Um, especially the, the metropolitan areas, they have a huge pressure on them. To more and more people moving in there, more and more people needing transportation. Um, the roads are clogged, the, the trains are very full, and unfortunately not reliable enough, very often delayed. So making connections is a hard thing to do. Um, and unfortunately, when you look at passenger satisfaction, you get quite negative statements across most, let's say, Western European countries. Um, UNIFA just published a report where the, the number of, of people disliking rail traf traffic in Germany and France actually higher than the people liking that, and that's alarming. So that's a real change. You know, we hear often that you can set your watch often on the, the trains that run in Europe, just the incredible amount of accuracy and reliability. What's changed over time? Has that been a matter of volume or has that been a matter of aging of networks? 
I think it's a mixture of, of, of different things. The, the, the biggest factor probably is volume. If you look at how many people are traveling today on public transport systems, that's massively more than used to be even a decade ago. And just to give an example, when, when you look at, at the UK and London crossrail, they even had to reorder trains because by the time they actually finished construction, the original uh, plan for the, for the trains was just insufficient. So, so I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I spent so, a lot of time with innovators. And one of the things we talk about is beginning with the customer journey. You've started to literally the customer journey. So this is a case of both customers journeying along the rails and the roads, but also a matter of essentially each of the steps and aspects of that journey itself. So when you address technology, when you think about the enablers that essentially will impact the pleasure of your customers, the value that the rail line and network uh, providers are giving, where's the role of technology in essentially moving from a point of dissatisfaction to a point of satisfaction? So for me, technology is really, as you said, an enabler to, to drive a change. And one of the big elements that we're targeting right now with most of our customers is on one hand side, improving availability of the installed fleet. And there is a massive upside that you can do. Our target for years in, in Siemens Mobility is 100% availability to schedule. A couple of years ago, people were laughing because they thought we're totally crazy and lunatic. But by now we have over 30 maintenance projects globally run by Siemens where we have availabilities of 99.9% and above. That's for me pretty close to 100%. What it does is it, it basically means you can rely on the trains being there and it trains they can also run on that route as they should, so you get a reliable transport. That's the entry point. You cannot talk about anything else if you don't know if your train is arriving or not. If you, if you look back 20 or 30 years, when you in the morning went to your car, you still had the question in winter, is it going to start or not? That question has disappeared because cars became very reliable. Why can't we have that in rail as well? And we can show it can be done. And for example, this, um, one of our flagship projects is the high-speed train in, in Russia between Moscow and St. Petersburg, where um, these trains are running for one and a half years without any technically created delay. That must I be mean, the quite 16 the, trains. Quite the accomplishment. I, I imagine is, the weather between, in certain times of year, the weather between Moscow and St. Petersburg can provide quite a challenge to a rail line. Oh, it, with it that does. I can tell you. I mean, um, in winter, the train roughly gets one ton heavier over the, the journey because there's, uh, there is water icing on the train. Um, you have a lot of challenges in actually making sure that this still runs stable. It's sometimes minus 40 degrees centigrade. In summer, it can go up to 25 or 30 degrees. So you have to make sure your asset is good enough, the train is built good enough. But that's where the data part comes in. We're able to foresee upcoming problems way before they manifest themselves in any way the customer can see that. Is that a function of having great connectivity across us, all aspects of a rail system and on the tracks, in the cars, in the stations, uh, mobile devices, etc.? How are you essentially gathering the data that is essentially giving you the ability to drive such high degrees of reliability? Well, 
we, we focus very much on using the data that, that's existing. You can always add more sensors if you want to, but if you, if you look at a train that's, I say, 300 meters long, it's rather hard to, to put more cables in, wire that, and, and get this stuff. It's very expensive. So what we do the first time is, let's use all the sensors that the train anyway has in, in order to, to operate and get all the information out of it that we can do. So, for example, um, we understand very well how bearings are behaving. There's a bearing measurement system on there to, to ensure that bearings are not overheating. Um, this we can use also to predict about four weeks in advance a bearing failure coming up. Um, we, we monitor doors, we monitor climate, uh, HVAC systems, climbing systems, uh, traction motors, fans, cooling fans, and so on. There's about roughly 100, 150 components that we actually monitor on such a train. And we can give you, first of all, a very good view on the condition of that component, and also then identifying when it should be maintained. But you can also then see when it's moving out of that normal degradation curve, and we need to do something out of the ordinary maintenance patterns. And if I know that the bearing is having a problem four weeks before it actually fails, I have at least three or four possibilities to do a standard maintenance cycle. I don't even need to replan the maintenance cycle. Usually sometime at night, it's going to be looked through, then they're going to um, exchange a component if it's, if it's um, something bigger. And there's no influence whatsoever on the experience of the passenger. Because if the train is at 2 o'clock at night in the depot and being taken apart, or if it's standing outside the depot and, and waiting there, it doesn't really matter for any passenger. But if your train is at 8 in the morning, you want it to be there, and you want it to be running, and you want it to be sure that it does arrive in time. This sounds like a classic combination, or we would maybe call a better together combination of gathering all the critical information. I'll use a term out there as an internet of things, you know, just the ability to essentially sense uh, tracks, bearings, every rolling component of a rail car, uh, and then combining that with pretty sophisticated predictive analytics. Is that essentially the approach? Yes, but there's one factor missing because um, we're not just coming there and saying there's a problem. We're actually going that far that we prescribe what should be the, the, the best action to take. So really recommending the right corrective or um, <clears throat> supporting activity. And this we can only do because we also combine IoT data with analytics and with a lot of domain know-how. As we are an OEM of trains and of signaling systems, we can also understand the risk that a certain decision carries or doesn't carry and what the follow-on costs are. So with quite a few of our customers, we're actually working in a way to help them reduce maintenance costs, improve availability, and we're actually getting paid by the outcome. This feels like a real ecosystem between yourself, uh, the operators, uh, possibly even other providers of services. What yeah. does that full ecosystem look like, and how is having a broader ecosystem allowing you to be much more innovative in your approach? When we look at understanding things about the, the real world, um, we, we cannot assume that everything happens just in one company. And I believe that the time of, of these lone innovators out there has probably run up quite a decade ago. So what we said, we use Redigen, which is our offering uh, to the market, as an open platform. So we brought by now 16 partners onto that platform. They're contributing IP, they're contributing applications. A partner, for example, is Knorr Bremse, one of the big producers of, of braking systems, as well as doors and HVAC systems. They know more about the components than we do. Why, why should we try to out-innovate them on their components um, when they can do a, a great job there? I'd rather focus our resources 
on additional things the customer wants. We work with SKF for bearings. I mean, they know a lot about bearings and they can, when it comes to critical assessment of where the bearing is heading to, they can help us a lot more. Making sure we get all the different innovation from all the sites together to give the customer the best view on, on where the condition of the asset is, what they need to do and how they can operate that. We do this for running stock, so everything has trains and running. We do that for signaling, so interlockings, point machines, all that stuff. And we do this for infrastructure, so even for the tracks. So there, for example, we, we have as partner Strukton, which is a big maintainer for, for railway lines uh, in, in the world. And we're also working with Festalpine, one of the biggest producers of tracks, because we're not the biggest expert in Siemens on steel. But for the customer, it's important to know how, how they should grind that, repair that, to make sure that you don't have a problem in operation. For the passenger, it doesn't matter if you're late because the track broke or because the train broke. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel any different. It feels like you're a real domain expert of domain expertise, right? <laughs> to a large yeah. extent, you knew how to bring in the right domain experts in order to essentially create, create that full system. Uh, absolutely, because everything we target that is what's the benefit for the customer? If we don't see the customer benefit, there's no point in pursuing that road. But we always need to say, is something getting better for the customer? And in this case, on passenger transport for the passenger. If we can't pinpoint that, we're solving the wrong problem. So as part of that dom domain expertise that you bring, and essentially the, uh, the host, the, the, the general contractor of all this expertise, where does TIPCO software fit into that ecosystem of capabilities? TIPCO software is actually um, quite important in, in how, how we develop and how we bring to market some of our, our offerings. And actually, we started embarking on a joint journey about eight years ago, uh, quite a while ago. We're using TIPCO not just for reports. I believe that is an important part of what we do, but the more important part we play with TIPCO in the moment is using TIPCO Spotfire as, I would call it, a um, rapid prototyping environment for new use cases. In IoT, there's not the one killer use case. Um, many rail operators are very different. So we need to understand what is the question they're trying to resolve and what's the best approach to that. So we have an, an, an offering we call Accelerator. We put three or four people from my team in a room, one customer, and we promise after the first week, the first application is available in the internet. It's very basic. It's not a product yet, not at all, but that usually is a Spotify-based application. We take care of the analytics, of the heavy lifting on the data, and mixing that with the Spotify capabilities to quickly deploy the application. Then the customer gives us feedback on, are we solving the problem? Are we tackling things the right way? And then two or three weeks later, we do the next sprint of a week. And usually after three or four of those sprints, we have a very solid understanding with our customer how we can solve the problem and what the value is they see. And this goes very fast, it's reasonably cheap, and then we embark on productizing that and making it more beautiful and more right. stable and whatever you need to have. But that all is driven by Spotfire. Um, and then the productized version also happens in Spotfire, just a bit more streamlined. And so nicer. it sounds like you're really using Spotfire as the basis of an analytic platform. Yes, absolutely. So it's not necessarily, so, so a lot of data visualization tools are essentially viewed as, as you said, as reporting tools. But you view kind of the TIPCO contribution with TIPCO Spotfire as essentially the basis of your analytic platform, a platform that yep. you use internally for 
proof of concept that you can later test as a beta product with those customers who are willing to innovate with you and then finally industrialize it to the point in which you can take it to the broader customer base. That seems like Absolutely. a very powerful use case for a powerful tool. Absolutely. And, and I mean, one of our key reasons why we actually went down the road with Spotify was simply that integrating visualization with analytics on a broad scale is so easy and, and can be done very, very well. That's the part where I think it really excels and that's where we really see the, the, the massive value. Right. Um, as we kind of close out, think about one of those prototypes or one of those analytic platform use cases that you guys have developed that really showed a beginning to end change in terms of the delivery of value that you were essentially able to provide for your customers. Well, one of the use cases that, that, that we did for, for quite a while now is um, predicting the failure of a point machine. So the, 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 the point is moving and, and helping trains to go from one track to the other. If those point machines are failing, that's usually a big problem. Normally, most vendors would measure the current uh, and then do a prediction if that point is still working fine or not. We can actually do it in a different way without any sense on the field whatsoever. We quickly created the first rough outline of, of what we can do, showed it to a customer, uh, Deutsche Bahn. They were surprised it actually works. And then over the next three months, we jointly developed it down to the point that we really supported their operational processes. It's not just about the predictions, about how they plan their people, how they schedule their people, how they reroute other trains while a certain point is being blocked for, for maintenance. These are things that, that, of course, we didn't know to that detail. So in a joint collaboration approach over three months, we came up with a really cool, sophisticated offering. And right now we have the best performing prediction algorithm for point machines by having the least data in, in the market. And that was done on a collaborative basis. Absolutely with collaborative basis. TIPCO, yourselves, and your partner customer, Deutsche yeah, Bahn. Exactly. That's a pretty incredible story. And are they seeing significant changes in the way that they're able to impact their customer satisfaction? Yes, because what, what they measure uh, really is, is delay minutes, and we can take down quite a sizable number of delay minutes. Uh, we've done that in the Bremen region, which is the northern part of Germany, and we can consistently see that quality is up and delay, delay minutes go down quite a lot. Yeah. And the metrics of success are very straightforward. Yeah. Right. There, more trains on time, more customers exactly. achieving where they need to do. Their customer satisfaction goes up, and they're actually making more euros because of that. Exactly. Because they're delivering more revenue and having fewer breakages and, due to. And if you have less delay minutes, you can actually get more trains on the same tracks because you need don't need to have so many buffer times in there to make sure that you still fit all all that transportation demand in there. So it actually also helps that you can run more trains. There's a direct, there's a direct line to value Absolutely. that Deutsche Bahn feels from Siemens Mobility exactly. from the standpoint of delivering that value. Exactly. Well, it's an incredible story. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Gerhardt as much as I did. So many great insights with respect to how technology is now reshaping the rail industry. In the future, Please subscribe to Tipco Tech Talks. That way you won't miss a single one of our broadcasts. And again, thank you to Gerhardt and thank you to you for listening. You've been listening to Tech Talks by Tipco. Stay tuned for more innovation-filled episodes. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and leave a review.